Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives with new episodes airing every Tuesday. My name is Eric Wicklin, and I'm the Senior Editor for Innovation and Technology at Health Leaders. Today, we're talking to Danielle Lauder, Program Director for Technology-Based Initiatives with the Northeast Regional Telehealth Resource Center, Co-Director of MCD Global Health, and a board member of the Maine Connectivity Authority, which is working toward universal availability of high-speed broadband in Maine. Hi, Danielle. Good morning, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, our, our topic this month is rural health, and uh, Maine, of course, is a rural state. Um, it, beautiful state too. Um, could you talk a little bit about how being a rural state, how tele, how that affects healthcare and how telehealth and digital health are, are, are being used here? Sure, Eric, you know, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. So I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity. Um, and as you know, better than most folks, uh, telehealth has been around for literally decades. And while it started out with some fairly clunky yet innovative solutions, uh, rapid advancements in technology and connectivity have really made uh, telehealth a fantastic tool for patients, providers, health systems alike, uh, particularly in rural areas to access the care they need when they need it. That's the biggie. Um, I think with respect to telehealth, in my mind, uh, as you mentioned, Maine is a very rural state. We've got geography from mountains to ocean to, you know, everything in between, which is why so many of us love to live and, and work and recreate here. Um, but many communities are situated over 50 miles away from the nearest hospital or health center and well over 100 miles from the nearest tertiary center or specialty care, uh, which can create problems um, for those of us who live rurally. Um, so I think just a, a few ways and, I, you know, we can't get into them all here today, but a few things that come to mind with respect to how telehealth really helps um, provide that access to care uh, for, for rural and underserved communities. Think about acute diagnosis and treatment of time-sensitive issues like stroke. One of the first things um, that got me passionate about telehealth was serving in a role that um, we, we were really tasked to build a stroke system of care for the state of Maine. Well, if you live in rural areas or really, you know, outside of southern Maine or, the, you know, the Bangor area, there are not neurologists available in the in the middle of the night or sometimes anytime during the day to ensure that you're being rapidly diagnosed and treated for that stroke. And you literally it's literally minutes that you have um, to effectively diagnose and, and work forward with a treatment plan that's going to save lives and, and save quality of lives. Um, so that's one great example. Um, for that acute diagnosis and treatment. Um, increased access to behavioral health services. The frequency is so important. And we know as a country, as a state, as a, as a global um, issue, there's a mental health crisis going on. And telehealth helps to ensure people get the care they need, many times right within their own home. Um, that's been a huge use case and successful use case, not only before the pandemic, but certainly during the pandemic. And, and now um, we can't really say post pandemic, I don't feel like, but um, but it's still an amazing tool for that. Um, you think about remote patient monitoring. Many people have chronic illnesses um, that need to be uh, looked at regularly uh, by, by a nurse or a healthcare, another healthcare provider. They can do remote patient monitoring, whether it's, you know, congestive heart failure, diabetes, et cetera, right within their own home. And those key clinical risk factors can be identified before they exacerbate into something that needs to put them in the emergency department or in the hospital. Um, and there's tons, you know, quality of life, cost savings. Um, 
you know, from not having to be in the hospital and people don't want to leave their homes. Um, so that's a, a great other, you know, kind of use case for access. Um, it saves hundreds of miles, hours and funds for people who live many hours away who might just need to go for, you know, a 15 minute pre or post-op visit. Maybe they just had some kind of surgical procedure, but it's downstate, you know, three or four hours. And if if it's appropriate, they can see their specialist from their local, you know, clinic or their own home in, in some cases, particularly since the pandemic happened and the, the policies opened up to allow for the patients to uh, be seen in their own homes. Just think about the hours and all the funds and people not having to take time an entire day off of work. Um, they can just take those few minutes that they actually need for the visit, um, which is pretty incredible. Um, Specialty consults and programs, which would not otherwise be accessible to people living in these rural communities. I think of Dr. Val O'Hara, who I think you know fairly well and have done some interviews with her over the years that she does um, a specialty program for children and adolescents with uh, obesity. And it's called the Telewow program. And she's able to provide that to kiddos up in northern Maine that would otherwise never have access to this important uh, program to help them um, uh, achieve and, and maintain a healthy weight. Uh, E-consults or electronic consultations, which allow primary care providers to connect directly with specialty providers um, who aren't otherwise available in their communities. Think of dermatologists, endocrinologists, et cetera, um, to really identify the best treatment plan for patients with complex health issues. Um, really keeping the patients local, uh, which is, I think, you know, everybody's goal. So, those are just a few examples. I'd also just throw out there that you've done a phenomenal job highlighting these types of examples over the years. So if folks haven't had a chance to check out some of your podcasts and um, articles, I would encourage them to do so. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, we, we we talk about rural Maine, um, mm -hmm. the idea that you've got, well, you've got down east, you've got the islands that need healthcare. Mm -hmm. You've got northern Maine, which is just a vast mm -hmm. area of small little towns and, and potato fields and a lot of moose. And then a hospital maybe <laughs> way up like Fort Kent <laughs> or Bangor. And that's it. Um, so distance, weather plays a part in this. Um, and, and it's not only Maine. I mean, uh, NETRC covers northern New York, the same idea, Vermont, New Hampshire, and we can talk about rural parts of any uh, part, regions of any part of the country. But with that, and I know Maine, Angus King has been a, a, a huge supporter of Absolutely. broadband access, uh, broadband, the idea of broadband reaching those or crossing those air, those long distances and improving telehealth. Now, you're part of the Maine Connectivity Authority. Could you talk a little bit about that and about you know how broadband can be used to improve access? Absolutely. So I'm happy to say that Maine is doing many great things to bring adequate and affordable broadband to unserved and underserved. That's what we the words that we use when we're talking broadband um, communities across the state. As you know, the pandemic brought digital equity and inclusion to the forefront as a social determinant of health. And you've probably heard and I've certainly heard and, and agree with the statement that digital equity is health equity. Um, it, it's um, really shown a light on that. Uh, and there are federal uh, and state agencies, and thank goodness for Senator King, who even before the pandemic was a huge proponent for expansion of broadband um, for Maine and, and rural areas and many others. Um, but really looking toward addressing these significant gaps in connectivity across the U.S. and in order to ensure equitable access, whether it's for healthcare, education, employment, socialization um, in socially isolated areas, which are rural, right? 
Um, so really, in order to help leverage these once in a generation resources that are being provided and address the digital divide here in Maine, particularly for those in rural and underserved areas, uh, Governor Mills established the Maine Connectivity Authority, which you mentioned in the summer of 2021. Um, and the MCA has a big goal, right? Um, we're charged with achieving that universal access of affordable high-speed broadband in Maine. And I think that affordable word is very important because we can have, you know, great connectivity, but if it's not accessible to people because of the cost, yeah. that's that's a big challenge. Um, so the MCA works to ensure three things, that effective, accessible connectivity is universally available in the state, that it be secure, affordable, reliable, competitive, sustainable, and forward-looking infrastructure. Um, that's a big piece of that to meet our future needs moving forward. We know this; the opportunities are just going to continue to grow. Um, that And that all residents, businesses, institutions in Maine are able to take full advantage of the economic, health, educational, and other opportunities available through adequate connectivity services. There are $150 million, and that's really just the starting point because we've jumped right in um, and are moving forward very quickly. In fact, Maine is a leader in this area with um, $150 million to start from the American Rescue Plan's Capital Projects Fund and Maine Jobs and Recovery Program and really looking to get those funds out into the communities as quickly as possible. Um, as you mentioned, I'm super fortunate to be able to serve on the MCA board and really just kind of bringing that telehealth expertise. And more importantly, I think my role is to make sure that our healthcare stakeholders are, are getting their um, thoughts and recommendations to the table as well. Um, and I've also lived in rural communities my entire life, so I bring that perspective as well. I, I still live in Cornville, Maine, so I'm I'm a rural rural girl um, through and through. But um, MCA focuses on projects, places, and people um, to advance digital equity. And really, uh, we, there are several grant programs which are focused on meeting communities where they're at with respect to readiness. Um, for example, MCA's Connect the Ready program is focused on support, supporting that last mile infrastructure and just recently announced $34 million in funding for 12 projects covering 31 communities in nine counties across the state. Um, so they'll be providing broadband service to more than 16,000 homes and businesses and will leverage over $17 million in private investment at the same time. So that's one example. I can talk about more if you'd like. <laughs> well, I want to I want to focus on this healthcare link. Mm -hmm. um, we've got, you know, you've, we've got Maine Health. Uh, we've got Northern Light, uh, mm -hmm. based Bangor, and then you get you got a you know smaller hospitals here and there, but there's a lot of a lot of space in between. How are healthcare? How can healthcare providers, health systems, play a part in this in expanding broadband? Uh, you think of them as the hubs in a hub and spoke telehealth network. There, where a lot of the healthcare starts and then it branches out. You know how important is broadband to them, and are they playing a part in in this in this effort to expand? Absolutely. And so I would, um, and I have been all along, uh, the Maine Connectivity Authority is developing its statewide um, broadband action plan, or the BAP, <laughs> as you might hear people refer to it. And we really want to make sure that our healthcare pr providers and, and systems are getting to the table and sharing um, thoughts and recommendations with respect to what their needs are, what their patients needs, consumers needs. There's a lot of demand, um, right, for telehealth and use of technology to, to make people's lives more convenient, to make them safer with accessibility to care, et cetera. Um, and our healthcare providers are doing that. 
the Maine Connectivity Authority, um, which I would encourage you to check out their website at uh, mainconnectivity.org if you haven't for all, if you want to leverage some of the funding opportunities, if you want to learn more about how to become involved. They're actually, the MC is funding regional and tribal broadband partners. So there's local representation. And we've been encouraging folks to attend those meetings. These are all, this is a quasi-state government, quasi-governmental um, organization. All of our meetings are open to the public. Go and sit around the table, make sure that you are there from a um, technology needs perspective, from a clinical you know, access perspective, from a policy perspective, um, as well, there's, you know, it's it's a multi-pronged um, thing that we need to be considering here. So, have and the the main connectivity authority team, um, they have a wonderful team. They will come and sit down with you as a health system, as a clinic, and talk through um, the specific challenges and opportunities that you're seeing um, within your organization as well. As well, um, and you talked about, you know, the hub and spoke model. I think it's it's become even bigger than that, Eric. Um, even before COVID, but I think people have become more, much more strategic in their digital health planning and integrating that into their overall strategic plan for their healthcare organization system, um, regardless of how big or small, right? So we're we're talking about hybrid care, and that's going to be the expectation um, moving forward. Um, Re-envisioning the care delivery model into one that integrates telehealth and digital health, I think, if, if folks aren't doing that, they should be doing that um, and set re realistic goals on how you achieve it. Um, per, prior to COVID, there were a few organizations thinking that way. However, the pandemic really painted a clear picture that we need to be ready to provide hybrid care moving forward. Consumers are demanding it. The workforce is demanding it. Um, and the general evolution of our world is demanding it. Think about pandemics. Like, I hope you know, there's not another one, but, you know, natural disasters, et cetera. And we were not prepared as, as a country. Um, and, and people did amazing things to um, implement telehealth seemingly overnight. And certainly I think the genie um, has been let out of the bottle and now we won't go back. But there's a lot more, um, you know, I think that we can do um, health systems. Uh, many, many of these folks come to us. There's a lot of funding opportunities for broadband and telehealth today, more so than I've ever seen. Um, consider submitting proposals for funding, local, state, um, whatever your goals are for program implementation. The, the Northeast Telehealth Resource Center, as you mentioned, I'm um, a program director for that. And we've helped many stakeholders throughout New England and New York to um, prepare proposals, um, get data, help with technology assessment plans, et cetera. For, and then to, if they do get funding, we can turn around and help them implement it. So um, please reach out to us um, at the Northeast probably Telehealth good. Resource Center. Yeah, probably good to note that NETRC is one of 12 regionals. Um, yes. We're covering the entire country with this. There are also two national ones, but mm -hmm. it's a it's a consortium, really, of, of, of the resource, resource centers. So any part of the country other rural parts of the country as well uh, covered by these. And another another good theme here is that uh, uh, partnerships, uh, uh, collaboration between state, federal, local uh, sources, uh, really helping to, to expand opportunities. Now, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the, or you talked a little bit about some of the, the money going into this, and mm -hmm. and money is is certainly an issue <laughs> in this economy. Um, right. <laughs> what what are some of the challenges, the barriers that 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 healthcare in rural rural healthcare faces that that, that we need to deal with here? Great question. Um, 
and while we've certainly seen a massive uptick in telehealth utilization, you know, since COVID-19, one of the very few silver linings, right? Um, the doors were really wide open to um, try new use cases and, and very effectively and make sure that we were, um, people weren't dropping through the cracks with respect to access to care. Um, I honestly would have to say that the complex policy landscape for telehealth remains the largest barrier to widespread adoption, uh, including legal, regulatory, reimbursement considerations. Right now, we're still under the public health emergency, and all of those telehealth-related waivers um, and flexibilities are still in place. However, we are on the precipice. That PHE, the public health emergency, ends on May 11. Right. And we have 151 days grace period for our healthcare um, stakeholders, partners, et cetera, to figure out what changes. Um, fortunately, in this year's um, Appropriations Act 2023 at the federal level, many of those flexibilities have been extended out to the end of December of 2024, which right. is great. So that, you know, they're um, patients can per continue to receive care at home. Um, federally qualified health centers, who are some of our um, rural partners who really are the lifeblood of healthcare within our rural communities, can continue to provide um, care via telehealth, et cetera. There are several more, and if folks want to dig into those weeds with me, I, they can give us a shout, and I'd be happy to do that. And um, But many of our, we're a technical assistance and training provider through our grant with HRSA to be the telehealth resource center. Many, many of our technical assistance questions right now are specific to, oh, my gosh, what happens at the end of the PHE? What do we do? And we go back to this more complex landscape of, oh, I need to know if it's um, Medicare or Medicaid or a private insurer because it differs and it differs state by state by state. We say if you know one state's telehealth policy, you know one state's telehealth policy. Well, it's at Netric, we have to know seven states policies and our colleagues at the other TRCs have to know the state policies that they cover. Um, but it's complex. And, you know, our healthcare um, systems and providers already have a whole lot on their plates. So to have to add the complexity of, you know, the policy and it's changing um, is it, difficult. It's a, it's a big challenge. And I would I would dare say that it remains the biggest challenge with respect to widespread adoption of telehealth. Um, the other part, of course, because we're talking about this today, would be the lack of adequate and affordable connectivity. Um, that's another barrier for sure, particularly in rural areas. Um, some communities and many homes still lack bandwidth needed for a telehealth video visit, um, which, you know, seems unheard of these days, but it we have many um, in the state. And the cost of data plans are beyond the reach for many. Um, and that so that said, we are making great headway here through the MCA and many other awesome partners throughout the state um, for those significant broadband expansion efforts. Um, so we're on our way. Um, and yeah, so I think those would be the the biggies today. It would be it would be good to see the Maine's a good example of of how telehealth has expanded and how the state is working with local providers uh, to expand that and to and to use broadband. Absolutely, absolutely. We're bumping up near the end of this podcast, but I wanted to, you know, we talked a little bit in the beginning about some of these uh, some of these programs, and uh, Maine has so many of them, uh, different do. types, digital health, telehealth. Is there one in particular that stands out that 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 really proves the value or of of telehealth in a rural community? Oh boy, 
if I just had oh, to have one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you mentioned Telewow, which was something we've talked about before. Um, you know, what does, yeah, and, and mindful of the fact that the podcast, uh, people all over the country are listening to this. You know, explain Telewow tele a little bit. Sure. So the, the telly part of it is fairly obvious. And the wow part is um, a way to optimal weight. And again, as I mentioned, um, this really is a program. It, it it was not tele. It was not available via telehealth several years ago. But Dr. Valerie O'Hara, who is a specialist in this area of treating um, children and adolescents with obesity, said, wow, you know, my kiddos from Aroostook County or I know I have kiddos from Aroostook County that need desperately need this service and they can't get to me. And I can't, you know, as a physician and and kind of one of a kind, she's a unicorn. She's a Val is just an excellent, excellent person. She she was sick to think that she wouldn't be able to provide these services to kiddos all over the state of Maine. And so she really was a pioneer in saying, uh, you know, to her health system and her colleagues, I really want to give this telehealth thing a try. And because I think that we can provide the same standard of care. The and there are it's a multidisciplinary program that includes not only her as a physician with her specialty area, but it includes um, other special specialties like dietitians and um, behavioral health components. And so really, it's enabled her to bring all of those care team members to the patients via tele um, and with some amazing outcomes. She's written multiple papers. If you, you know, folks want to read um, some of those, we actually have a, a telehealth resource library on our website, which is just www.netrc, as in Northeast Telehealth Resource Center, .org. Um, you can find some of her papers there. She's getting ready to publish again soon. Um, and I think she just did a presentation in South America about the program because others are looking to potentially um, replicate it. Another, you know. South America? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, well, and that's, you know, rural is everywhere. We're a global yeah. public health organization. And some of the the key, you know, challenges that we have in here in Maine, and you talked about other states that we serve, they're global in nature. And people really need access to these incredible types of programs and where we can help share what we've learned, you know, here in Maine and beyond. It, it's a pretty amazing thing. Um, School-based behavioral health, meeting kiddos where they're at, bringing parents in to counseling visits within the school. We've had a lot of interest in this um, and we've we've implemented um, a school-based behavioral health program in Baileyville, which is in down East Maine. Yeah. Very remote area and much needed services. And oh my goodness, students, parents, um, social workers at the school and the providers involved. It's been an amazing change in access and people are like oh my gosh we need more of this <laughs> um so and, we're working on that but um that's another awesome yeah. program and the value of partnerships is some of these programs here in maine are coordinated with a a vel e-health which is out in the dakotas uh, yes and there's there's a certainly rural part of the country as well but the, the partnerships that are being forced here in maine spread across the country and and Basically, you can get the resources you need from any part of the country or world. You just got to you got to have that connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. And primary care even, you know, thinking about, yes. you, you know, the Maine Seacoast mission oh. well and that they've mm -hmm. provide primary care via telehealth to the islands of Maine for 
well over a decade, um, right? So that's one, you know, the community paramedicine programs in Bingham and the Forks, Maine, where, you know, <laughs> surprisingly over the past few years, they have they actually have much better internet. So they're able to, due to, due to um, the community really wanting to invest in it and, and having that access. So yeah, there, there are amazing programs all over the state and amazing, you know, teams that are just really dedicated to making sure that people have access to the care um, that they need, whether you're a resident here in Maine, or you're a visitor in the summer, or, or whatever reason that you're here with us, um, to some really amazing programs and folks working um, to maintain that. Great. Good examples. Danielle, uh, thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. This has been a a, a great conversation about how telehealth uh, can it really benefit rural areas. And, you know, we talk about Maine, but it's not just Maine. It's it's everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course, Eric, you know, I'm happy to chat with you anytime. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, thank you. Thank you.